0: Uh, okay, guys, so uh, today we're going to challenge or challenge ourselves uh, in some of our preconceived notions. Everyone sees me in the back there? Hi. Uh, we're going to try to um, dispel some myths that we have on some very important, crucial topics uh, in Jewish thought and practice. Uh, it's been one of the themes of my talks here so far. Uh, and that's when I talk about Jewish history. You say, wait a minute, Rabbi, Jewish history. what is Jewish history of doing anything? And how is that central? We kind of think of Jewish history... Uh, as you know, what happened in the past, you know. Uh, so if I tell you stories about, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, you know, Moses and you know, the Torah and, and Egypt and uh, I don't know the Hasmoneans, that's history, you know, and that's not relevant to us today. Uh, but we find in Judaism uh, as history being linked to life itself that we have today. So. Um, so that's the, that's the overarching idea. We're going to talk about some of the famous statements that I'm sure some of y'all have heard uh, that we find in Jewish literature about, about history. And we're going to try to use that, extrapolate the meaning from that, and see how that plays into the overarching goal uh, that we have as Jews in our life, not only for us, but for all of humanity. How does that sound? As uh, something we should try. What do y'all say? Let's do it. Okay, so um, I, I think uh, just as, 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 a, as a start, um, we kind of think, you know, or oh, maybe we don't think about this, but if we were to think about it, uh, we were to perhaps imagine, like, we're thrown into this world without any instructions. It's not like we remember, you know, we put on the glasses, you know, before they, four seconds before they explode. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Put the glasses on and they, you got to throw them up before they explode because they tell you your next mission. Thank you. Yeah, but, thank you, yeah. So, like, we, we we're, we're come in blind, you know, and we, we just imagine that our life is to just, uh, I don't know, let's do the best with what we got. Let's, let's take the cards that were dealt and try to make the best of it. You know, that's, I think, the, you know, that's what most people feel. Uh, but the Torah tells us that there's this whole grand universal vision. You know, there's this, this, plot, uh, this plot, this plan, uh, this, this thing that has to happen uh, that, uh, that us as the Jewish people, as the chosen people, we'll see what that means as well, uh, we're tasked with fulfilling a necessary and vital function and mission for all of humanity. And if we don't do it, we're in, we're in, we're in big trouble. In fact, not only us, all of humanity. So that kind of opens up you know, uh, this whole new idea, this whole new world where it's not just we're here and we're in this world and we didn't have a say about it And maybe if we had the option, maybe we could opt out. You know, we we could opt in or opt out, or you know, we're here and let's try to make the best of it. It's more than that. We're here by design. We're here to accomplish something very specific, and we have to do it. We have no uh, failure is not an option. Uh, And when we talk about history, it's not just about the past, but it's also the present and the future, which is this this big uh, vision. And it got started in the past. And it's continuing today, and it's going to be culminated in some time in the future. So, so, that's why we talk about history and Jewish history. It's not just about retelling past events. It's about uh, 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 opening up the door uh, to to this vista of of a perspective of a mission uh, that we have at, at, and the responsible uh, as Jews. So, uh, let's just let's just start here with uh, with questions. So, everyone here has heard of the term chosen people. Is that right? Is you familiar with that term? So what does it sound like? It sounds like, oh, we're the Jewish people. We're better than everyone else. We're, we're God's favorites. You know, God has a bunch of kids. We're the fan favorite. That's what it sounds like. Uh, a lot of people who are not Jewish think that we think. Yeah, well, you know, There's we're... a lot of uh, hatred towards Jews, I think. Maybe. Yep, you know, that's a good argument. Uh, that the, the Jews think that they're... You know. But remember, you know, the Japanese flag has a big red circle, because we're the best, because we're, the sun comes to us first. And, uh, you know, we just had the Olympics a couple of years ago, we'll have in a couple of years, and every country is holding up their flag, and we're special, and one of the Muslims say, uh, Dara al-Islam, the nation of Islam, if you're not with us, we hate you, and everyone seems to say that. Yeah, okay. (laughs) You know, but the fact that one group feels superior, uh, that's not so unique, so, if you want to use that as a, as a way to explain Jew hatred or anti-Semitism... It's, it's, it's maybe, entirely, maybe, but. maybe. But we have this idea, it's not just about being different, it's being chosen by God. What does that even mean? Like We're, we're all so used to that term, but what does it mean? Anyone mm-hmm. has any ideas I want to share here? What does it mean to be mm-hmm. chosen? What does that mean? yeah. So we're so we're chosen for a mission. Okay, we're, we're all is that, okay with that. Is that true in general? said that they're. Well, you could say it on a on a you know on an individual level. Everyone is chosen and everyone has. It's like the uh, participation trophy, you know. But no, 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 no. no. <laughs> you know, but but that idea is that everyone has something special that they could contribute. Everyone has something that's admirable that we could learn from. We're told. She'll learn from everyone. who is the wise man he who learns from everyone because everyone can contribute. But here is on a, on a, on a cosmic you know, or a, a national level you know we're talking about all the purpose of all of humanity. the Jewish people are chosen. we'll see that's actually not a cor- perfectly correct term, but we are tasked with this responsibility and a responsibility that also equals uh, uh, you know, a certain commitment and that when you have the responsibility on one hand you have the privileges. That are linked to that responsibility. Another other ones, you have the responsibilities, obviously. You have what you need to do, what you're obligated to do, and what you, if you don't do it, there's going to be consequences for that as well. So well, there's the term, we are chosen to be all agroim. a Light to the nation. So basically, we need to be living up to a higher standard and serving as an example to everyone else on how to So. So, so what Ron is saying is that we're chosen because we're going to uh, teach the entire nation. We're like to the nation. We're going to, we're going to inspire the nation, the nations of the world. We're going to lead the nations of the world to, towards achieving whatever it is, whatever that goal is. You know, and you look at it, you know, there's not a – I don't want to say a single, but I don't want to make a generalization. But if you look at any movement that's designed to change the world, you know, that's the betterment of society – Uh, you know, whatever that may be, to be even for profit, right? But any vision that's a, a, you know, a universal vision that's introduced, you have Jews at the helm. So one can make that argument, like Ron's making, is that the Jews have a certain quality that is we want to change the world. And we want to inspire. We want to teach. We want to improve. We want to make the world a better place, you know? And I'm going to agree with that almost entirely. Uh... I want to start here. So, just with, introduce some text. Um, who here has heard of the idea that this is a six thousand year world? Has anyone heard that? Y'all know. Uh, so, what year? Are we. you are, 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 are familiar with the Jewish dates? Okay, five seven and change. Let's see. Here. The actual number is five seven seven five. Now. um... I don't remember what year it is. 5,775. Uh, now, what is this counting from, or what is it counting to? Anyone knows? 6, to 6,000. Okay, to 6,000. Okay, that's the end point. What's the beginning point? Well, what's zero? What happened at zero? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bereshit. Bereshit happened at zero? That's not... guess the eighth Uh Huh? Okay, so so if you look at... you. If we say we have a 6,000-year-old world, we're going to have some problems because it seems that there's uh, somewhat uh, copious evidence that the world is significantly older. Um, what What's actually clear, that the Jewish calendar of 5,775, that starts ticking not from Genesis, not from Bereshit, but rather from Adam. Not only that, not just Adam, uh, you know, beginning of the Adam but rather the uh, not, not the creation of Adam, but the I would say the um, mitigation or limitation of Adam. What happened? Okay, so let's well, that's, that's a side point. But what happens before Adam? Right, those six days that we talk about, that is not part of the calendar. Why? Well, just a simple way to understand that. Uh, we know that the sun, which regulates days for us, right? We see the sun again; it's a new day. That shows up on day four. So what marked the days of Sunday to Monday, Monday to Tuesday, before Wednesday arrives and we have a sun introduced to the picture? That's an open question. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. All I know that it's a question. You like that, huh? Uh, was it 24 hours without a sun? It was just time? Or was it something else? I, I don't know. It's a good question. But clearly, this indicates that these are not regular days and these are not regular time capsules um, the way we have today. Uh, And in fact, when you open up some of the the Jewish uh, sources, we find that on day six we meet Adam, we meet Eve, they have children, they, they have these instructions not to sin, they sin, what that means is a side point, but either way we know you cannot be born and have children in the same day. It's not likely, right? You need to grow up and you need to uh, you know you need to have some you know you produce the children, you got to wait some time for gestation, and then you have to have the baby being born. Right. So not normally... That would also not be that would seem to be uh, uh, not so so yeah, so when we start counting, it starts from Adam after he's out of the garden, after that whole garden even store. those seven days are not part of this counting. We start counting and then we have six thousand years so so that, so that that's the idea that everyone's heard of. Where is this from? What's 6,000 years from? What's this idea? What happens after 6,000 years? Huh? Okay. What? So let let me tell you where the source is. You guys tell me me what the source is. I'll read you the source. This is where it comes from. It's the whole idea comes from the source in the Talmud. It is in the book of Sanhedrin. It's on page uh, 97A. If you want to... I can show it to you in the book if you want to see it, you and it says remember, as follows, huh? You memorize online you see it. I have it written down, but I. <laughs> he knows nothing good. Yeah. Well, so that. it says like this. Uh, I have to read it in Hebrew because we have some Hebrew speakers. My policy is that I read the original Hebrew. Some people, some people understand Hebrew. Uh, Shishat alafim shana have alma. So it's not exactly Hebrew. Oh, no. Alma, alma is the olam. Sure. It's Aramaic. Uh, so the world is six thousand years. Shne alafim tohu, Shne alafim torah, Shne alafim mashiach, which means 2,000 years tohu, which means chaos, 2,000 years torah, and 2,000 years mashiach. That's the source. 6,000 years, and it's broken down to 2,000 years tohu, which means chaos, 2,000 years torah, which means Torah, and 2,000 years mashiach, which means Messiah. So what does this even mean? How do how do we understand this? So, we have 6,000 years, we have a starting point for history, we have an end point for history, and we have three different uh, epics, or even eras or time periods, and they're labeled as Tohu, Chaos, Torah, Torah, and Mashiach. What does this even mean? I thought Mashiach was some warrior or some great scholar who comes and is a man. It's not 2,000 years. I don't know anyone who's 2,000 years old. Even Adam only left. Yeah, so what does this even mean? Like, do we have these time periods, it seems like it's, when well, we're breaking it into to three sections, and it's some sort of progression, and it ends at 6,000, and what happens then? And what, what does it mean that these three time periods and how we're told, well, this is Tohu, and this is Torah, and this is Mashiach, what does this mean? And, how, and what does this teach us about, about what this entire life and existence and purpose is, is trying to bring towards? We start off at point A, right? There's this purpose for the world, and this 6,000 years, 6,000 years to fulfill a mission. Right? Now, I'm skipping a few steps here, logically, but logically, once you assume uh, the existence of of, a, of, of, a, of an intelligent creator to all of humanity and all of the universe, you also assume a purpose. Is that right? That's a fair assumption, right? If God created the whole world, right, then he must have had a purpose, like right? Intelligent Entities don't do very complex creations without a reason. So that part I skipped. But uh, we're, we're we're assuming God exists, and, and 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 this this purpose is going to be brought out by this time that we have six thousand years, a lot of towards this purpose. What's the purpose, and how do we get there? And, and also, what else? What else? What else? Do we learn from this statement. Well, it also tells us that Mashiach is not just a an entity; it's a two thousand year progression. And we have so the first two thousand years is chaos. What is what, What's chaotic about the first two thousand years of existence? And what changes the two thousand years? Oh, okay. Torah is a clarity. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds pretty simple. What year is the Sinai? Sinai. Uh, I think. Well, the year. Uh, the year. Um, the secular date. In the Gregorian calendar, I guess, that would be thirteen twelve before the Common Era, according to Jewish sources. So we're talking about uh, about two thousand and um, maybe five hundred years into into uh, into this six thousand year period. Well, that's clear. Okay, so, so let's let, let's try to break this down. What happens in the year two thousand? Uh, I'm going to throw out a keyword here. Can you guys, tell me if you've heard of it. Another keyword. Uh, Tikkun Olam. Who has heard of the term t- term Tikkun Have you heard of it? What does it mean? Tikkun Olam. Perfecting the world. Perfecting the world. Uh, more precisely, is there a more <laughs> precise? Repair or to fix the world. Right. This is a core element of Jewish life, of Jewish practice, of Jewish ideology. Fixing the world. What does that imply? If we have to fix the world, what does it tell us about the world? It's broken. It's broken. We want our money back. Right, we got a broken product. What's the warranty? Right, the world is flawed. It's broken. What's broken about it? It seems like such a wonderful world. Look at the trees and the grass and the clouds and the water. And it seems it seems to be very organized. You know, we're almost exactly ninety-three million miles away from the sun. If we were a little closer, a little further away, we would not be able to harbor life on this planet. You know, it seems to be very balanced. You know, we have all these functions and. Everything seems to work very, very well. What could possibly, what's broken? What would, what, what, what would you change? You know, you want to have another arm coming out of your chest to just multitask? What's so broken about our world though, that this is the mission to fix the world? Oh, maybe, okay, that's broken. But what's the under, what's what's the world that's fundamentally broken? So yes, there's some element, there's, there's strife amongst people, and there's you know, there's, there's disunity and there's infighting and then there's, you know, yes. Okay. What is at the core of all the problems of the world? Injustice. Okay, but that's, but well, why is there injustice? Huh? I like people. Look, people some people. <laughs> Most people. Huh? People are, oh, people are selfish. And when someone's selfish, what don't, what don't they see? What else don't they see? Huh? It's not holy, okay? Well, but what what would it look like if it was holy? It's broken. We see we see fighting. We see people being selfish. We see Humans lack of holiness. Flaws. Huh? Humans have lots of flaws. We know that. Uh, you know. That's true. So oh, so we're broken. Okay. But there's something here that that's missing here. What else is missing, guys? So what's, what's essentially so flawed that the world is so broken that we need to fix it? We don't see God. More than people turn away from God. The world is designed... Imagine this. Imagine you have the most exquisite painting or the most exquisite creation or uh, anything like, as... Uh, we can't think of anything as expansive and exhaustive as the world, but something... There's so, so much detail, so many creatures... So, such such beauty, such perfection, but the artist doesn't sign his name. You look around, you don't see God. You could spend your entire life and not encounter, even once, the author, the painter, the crafter, the creator, the architect of this wonderful existence. Right? That is why the world is broken. We say, olam shakai, which means to fix the world with the kingdom of God. The Jewish mission, hello, the, the the world is imperfect. Uh, the world is imperfect because it's broken because there's something fundamentally flawed with the world. That the world uh, the most important thing, the most important element of, 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 of existence is God. If God exists, but we, we're supposing that He does. Right? And the most important thing of the world is, is God is God as well. Yet humans and most humans could live their lives without even acknowledging this fact even once. And that is something fundamental one. And I'll, and I'll make the argument. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, they might not see God, he might not assign his name, I think most of the world does believe in God. Okay, maybe most of the world does. But but it's still, even. we all believe in God here today. But even for us, how many days do we actually cognizant, not cognizantly, acknowledge that? Cognitively and cognizantly. I think cognizant is a word as well. Cogent, Thank you. Right. How much of our lives is actually dominated by that? Uh, most of the time, well, we don't see God. We don't have any sort of interface with our senses of God. Uh, right? And if we could, yes, we could check the box. We're not atheists. Oh, no. We're not atheists. You know? We believe, of course. But is that really the, 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 you know, the overarching fundamental element of, 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 of our viewpoint of our consciousness? I'm sorry? Well, much more than, I'm saying much more than just interpreting his will. How much of a dominant factor in our lives is the idea of God? I would argue it's, it's very minimal, unfortunately, because we're in this broken world. Now, someone made the argument that the majority of the world does believe in God. Could we say maybe if the majority of the world does believe in God, maybe we're very far along this process Affects in the world. Could we make that argument? Aren't people becoming less secular over time? Well, for sure. Well, I think there's 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 this micro trends and the macro trends. But know, the first two thousand years. Some people use God to separate themselves. Some people use God to try to bring a community together. Yeah. Okay, but 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 if someone really truly believed in God, right? If 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 society accepted that. Then it would be a much more just society. Then the injustice would would, would disappear. And uh, uh, okay, so that so they get slight slight variations go a long way. <laughs> like when you if you set the rocket to to try to reach the moon just a quarter of an inch off, it might be hundreds of miles away, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. I I, I would tend to agree to that. But uh, but you know we, we look at the world today. And compared to the way it was maybe twenty five hundred years ago, or two thousand years ago, where people were slaughtered for nothing, petty criminals, in, in Rome, which was a you know a, a fairly sophisticated society, they were slaughtered just by the tens of thousands. Okay, but we okay maybe 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 uh, that kind of religion that was we're looking for. Looking actually, you know, just nice the religious and God, you know, and the Jewish God. I, okay, so, 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 so let's start with this, with this chaos, right? So we start off the world, chaos, God is not around anywhere, right? No one testifies to the fact. No one lives by that ideal, right? No one teaches that, uh, uh, you know, that reality. And then what happens? We need Abraham. And uh, the Talmud actually does say, we know that Abraham, if you do the actual dates, Abraham born in the year 1948 of this 2000 year, of the, uh, of since, since Adam. Uh, which is an easy way to remember this, 1948 was the foundation of the State of Israel. And then the Talmud says elsewhere that at the age of 52, Abraham achieved a certain degree of perfection of this God ideal. Thus, Abraham begins this process of bringing the world towards its perfection. He was, of course, only one man who developed developed the movement, but this Abrahamic mission is the beginning of Undoing this uh, this this uh, this this problem this you know this this, this fundamental flaw that, that 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 the world has. Suddenly we don't only have chaos we have this one voice of reason and you know what I would make the argument that uh, that Abraham changed and reformed the world more than anyone else because the principles that Abraham introduced that eventually gained as we see today gained such <coughs> wide appeal and acceptance. These are the ideals that brought the world to its much more sane existence than it, it has today. We know that Abraham grew up in the inner world with child sacrifice. That was commonly uh, accepted practice. Now we have Torah. Torah says, "Don't sacrifice your kid." Who would even think of sacrificing a kid for the, you know, for some for some, some, uh, some idol or some pagan we, 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 A pagan deity? Would anyone consider doing that? Take your kid and put him in the fire because the gods want? No, nobody, eats them. huh? Well, okay, So, which is, which is a good question, because we see when Abraham is tested, he is tested to do specifically that that he repudiated with his faith, which, it, which, 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 which makes it, you know, which, which obviously, uh, you know, it, it augments the challenge. Like, whoa, whoa, what's going on over here? God is telling me to do that which I specifically came out against. That's a good point. But ultimately, that was, that was the test to see, uh, you know, how dedicated are you to the ideal or are you, you know, to the reality or to the position of, uh, of what that reality implies. Right? Is God, so we could say now that God's test of sacrificing his son Isaac, which we know he didn't ultimately do, but what was that test about? Perhaps what God was telling him, are you rejecting the way of life because you find it barbaric? You find child sacrifices being barbaric, or are you really believing God? It, 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 are you rejecting the negative, or are you embracing the positive? You know, maybe Abraham could have said, "You know what? This is insane. This whole child sacrifice and these whole multiple gods." And you know, even we you know thousands of years later, they still had the Romans and and the Greeks. Uh, the Roman historian Deir Cassius writes that uh, that they had an excess of thirty thousand gods. Like that didn't end with Abraham. But Abraham, perhaps, could be repudiating uh, the way of life of the pagans, but not necessarily embracing God. So God tells them, how are we going to test that? We're going to test that with the ultimate test of, God will tell you to behave like one of them. Well, then you have to choose. Are you you embracing the God ideal? Or are you just rejecting the barbaric way of life of uh, of your society? Good point that you brought up. So... Where were we? What happens? So now we have Abraham. But the idea of God is brought onto the world. 2,000 years later, we have Torah. Well, what's Torah? How does Torah change this? Who, who gives us the Torah? Who, what is this? How is the Torah transitioning this ideal of God into something more, uh, into further progress in fixing the world? So we know if Abraham has the idea, so it's one man. It's it's one chinked in the armor of this broken world. We're we're, we're doing the smallest thing of of trying to dismantle uh, uh, and to fix, to to dismantle what was broken, I guess, or to fix what was broken. And now comes along Torah. What is Torah? Torah is the mission statement of the Jewish people. Torah is when a nation, an entire nation, not just one individual or one family or one movement, it's an entire nation that will exist for eternity, is accepting upon themselves to fulfill this mission. It's no longer a bunch of individuals, even a band of individuals, even Abraham and Isaac and their kids and the whole tribe of them. Now it's a, it's a nation, a nation that's enshrined for eternity to fulfill this mission. And the Torah is how we're going to do it. I'll explain how that works in a second. And what happens with Messiah? Messiah is the idea of, of this gaining such mass approval of this idea of God being disseminated throughout the entire world that this basically becomes what everyone believes in. And we find this remarkable statement. Um, Maimonides writes, he says, what's the role of Christianity in Islam? I know we're talking about Islam now. What's the, what's the role in this grand picture? How are they, because uh, they seem to be, if you look at Islam, Maimonides at least, he writes that Islam is the same Theology as we have, but they're like we said, they're a little bit different, radically different. You would say in how we apply that. Amarni writes is that we look at Islam, especially because remember Islam, who is that? Who do they, who do they come from? They come from Ishmael, Ishmael is the son of Abraham. So they have the Abrahamic influence, and we know that Christianity and Jewish in Jewish philosophy comes from Edom, which is Asaf, which is the son of Isaac. Yes, uh, in Jewish in Jewish writing, Asav, uh, uh, Jacob's twin brother Esau, in English, he is the forbearer of of Rome, which which we know pivoted into Christianity. Wait, based on what? I'm sorry, that's, that's I said. You're basing that on. Uh, well, that's uh, that's a uh, a widely. uh, uh, uh that's just an anecdotal thing that's accepted. Well, it's it's, it's 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 in Jewish philosophy. So, uh, for example, okay. what was that that was like. There's someone there on the sky. (laughs) I was like, let's say hi. Hi, Zoe. This is Zoe. Hey, Zoe. Oh, hi. I was like, what? This is like a, where did that come from? So, um, for example, uh, we find uh, Rashi quotes the Talmud as uh, uh, Rabbi Judah the Prince uh, and Antoninus, who's Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, became the Roman Emperor in the year 161, that they are the uh, they are the, uh, the souls of of Isaac and Jacob, I'm sorry of, of, of Jacob and and Esau, wherein the full manifestation of 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 Jacob came to fruition with with Rabbi Judah the Prince, whereas Rabbi Judah the Prince colleague uh, and contemporary um, with whom he was actually quite friendly uh Antoninus, that is the full manifestation of of Esau, but. Um, There's many, many sources that talk about that. I could give you a whole list if you email me after the class. Uh, So Maimonides writes that these, the Christians and the Muslims, our our cousins, so to speak, they are also influenced by Abraham and they're also doing somewhat of their part of fulfilling the Abrahamic mission of fixing the world. And we look at the world today. Someone even mentioned this. The idea of one God, just those words, those words were so foreign 2,000 years ago. You know, the the Jewish people in, in Romans, I'm not sure if it was the Romans or the Greeks, they were persecuted as being atheists. Because this idea of one invisible God where all the power is coalesced in, into one entity, that was a foreign idea. It said that we, we mentioned the Romans had 30,000 gods. Because there's a power for this and a power for that. Everything has its power. You know, there's the, the, the God of fertility and the God of, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, mountains and the God of everything, right? Everything has it because you know there was a depluralization of of the powers for every individual thing, and the Jews come up with this radical idea, uh, or they thought it was, you know, they thought it was the radical idea of of this one God that has all the power, and they were persecuted for that. But what about today? Today we are, we live in a world with this idea. You could discuss it pretty much with anyone, you know, more or less uh, throughout the you know entire world, the the Western world at least. You know, this is idea that has. Billions of adherents to. And, you know, in the big picture, we say this is far along the line of Messiah, of mass dissemination, of global, of universal acceptance of this idea is the end game. And then what does the world look like at the end? What does the world look like once everyone, that's a fixed world. Suddenly the idea of God is not so distant. Suddenly the idea of God is not hidden from everyone. Everyone accepts it, more or less, of course, but the idea of the uh, of the force that's behind this wonderful creation, this wonderful universe, right? That idea of it being, you know, uh, totally uh, invisible in the world. Well, that's that's that that's that's entirely gone as well. And that's the full manifestation of uh, of, of Messiah, you know, and this the full uh, completion of the Jewish mission. Now. Let's try to see how this plays out to us. So that's a good people question, you know. Uh, fighting uh, between them, say, oh, my, Listen, I know it's a very popular uh, adage that people say: "Oh, more, th- more more wars are started over religion." And you know, actually, it's not true because more religion, Most most wars are started over territory, uh, but th- that that is true. Uh, so we 're not done yet, uh, but i 'll make the argument that uh, religion overall, long term, has brought tremendously positive uh, effects. Uh, um, and yes, and you know we have our issues, we have our disagreements, but ultimately, um, the idea of morality being an absolute, which is what religion preaches, that thing has done wonders uh, for all societies. Yes, I agree we 're not, we're not done yet. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So, there are secular universal moralities. Yeah, well, this is, this is a good question. We, we could go down this, this hole and never emerge. Um, this, this has been widely debated. You know, this is the first time that you've had this discussion. Uh, I, I think that, yes, I think an, an atheist can have, well, I think there's room for debate. Uh, whether an atheist can have a universal, um, I think I hear both ways, but but not because means I hear the argument that well if if a, you know, an atheist by definition is someone who com- rejects completely the idea of 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 any uh, uh, divine or orchestrated origin to anything right, thus rejecting that they have a soul, or rejecting that they have a purpose, uh, thus we can. Why not? Because if if there's if there's if it's all random, then how could be how could it be purpose? It's just to do. true, but ultimate purpose, absolute purpose, like you would say. You said absolute morals. I'm saying absolute purpose cannot exist if you don't believe in God. Yes, Zoe. No. Well, you can have. See, if you're an accident, then your purpose is to keep perpetuating accidents. That's what the scientific community would say, anyway. So there's not necessarily. Yes, but is that absolute or not? That's the question. Why would the, why would that be absolute? Observable. I understand. But if someone says – if someone I, – I think there's a logical argument to be made that if someone really takes the argument of being an atheist to its fullest extent, then they have to be a nihilist. They have to be someone that – I think there's an argument to be made. On the other hand, uh, I think that even someone who thinks they're an atheist uh, has a soul. You know, even, you know if I, I believe in God, I believe everyone has a soul, and even atheists have souls. Thus – and I say that the soul is, what is, is what's going to stir someone to have – uh, purpose in life, and and I think the souls also lean to the idea of God and the idea of Torah and the idea of absolute morality. That's why I do think that that, uh, that unknowingly the atheist does kind of fulfill uh, this idea in a weird way, in this ironic way. Yeah, it's frustrating to hear. I know. <laughs> Okay, so so, so so we live in this – oh, my gosh, I see we have only eight minutes left. i try to do this real quickly. So we live in this world where um, this is all big picture cosmic, you know, meaning and fine, all fine and dandy. What does it mean for us? Or better yet, what about a human and physiologically what makes us ignore God and how do we undo that? And how does the Torah help us in, in fulfilling that? Uh, so everyone here familiar with the idea of a soul and the body and interrelationship? Everyone's heard of those ideas, right? Okay, so we have the soul, and according to Jewish uh, writings, the soul is this incredible uh, spiritual force that uh, the Talmud itself puts on the same pedestal of holiness as God, which is crazy to even say that. Uh, and then we have this body, which is physical, which is, makes us no different on our, on our body side from an animal. And what is the more dominant, what's the default state of, of of humans is that of their body. So we have this, uh, this uh, unholy or uneasy uh, coexistence, marriage if you will, of these two opposite extremes. We have this godly soul, this total spiritual, something which is incredibly close to God on one hand, but that is buried under the power of our bodies on the other hand. Thus, if we want to bring the idea of God out to the world, we're going to have to Harness the power of our souls. We're going to have to figure out a way to make the influence of the soul, or the the power, or the uh, 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 just the inspiration of the soul, shine forth. But the problem is that the soul is 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 is, is muffled and muzzled by this powerful body. Uh, so that's that's how the, in Judaism we view this relationship of the body and the soul. The soul is there, but it's buried beneath this mountain of uh, of. Of 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 the body that's overwhelming. How do we know it's overwhelming? If you you, you have no link to the senses, uh, there, there's no link the, there's no sensory link to the soul. Okay, as an example, if uh, if you shake a lulav on the holiday of, of Sukkot, right? So you have this Lulav, you got these branches, and you got the you're holding the citron, and you shake it. That's the myth of the Torah. Shake shake the lulav. What do you feel? You feel nothing. You feel a little weird. You feel a little awkward like what are you doing? It's not linked to your senses. You know, you eat matzah. What are you doing? You're chewing crackers. Right? I gave that example last time, right? That's how we feel with mitzvahs. You know? We we cuz it, it's spiritual, so it doesn't we don't feel that. As opposed to you take the glass of water, well that you feel. Right? We feel what our body feels, but we don't feel what our soul feels. Yeah. Thus, the biggest obstacle, the biggest impediment for us to bring forth the idea of God into the world is our body. If we're to chip away at the influence of the body, what happens? You know what happens? The power of our soul comes forth. Thus, tikkun olam happens via our soul penetrating the, or, or overcoming, overwhelming the influence of the body. Open up the Torah. What does the Torah say? You open the Torah. says, restriction number one, restriction number two, restriction number three. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Right? Withhold this pleasure. Right? do this thing which is difficult right strain yourself in this way that's what the torah is, the torah is and, and and we're being told we're being sold that this book is going to bring the world to perfection it's going to uh, this is the manual for saving mankind how does that work the torah and its restrictions are our or uh, god's manual for suppressing quelling and squelching the influence of your body. When your body wants something, the Torah says, you know what? No, 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 Don't have that cheeseburger. But the body wants. but You say no. You suppress. And you uh, weaken the power of the body. And concurrently, you strengthen the power of the soul. And you do this time and time again. The Torah is this one after another, restriction, restriction, but that weakens the body and empowers the soul. And as a result, if you look at the end, if you actually follow this, uh, this, uh, the, the, this, uh, this, this plan that the Torah outlines, you know what you'll have? What will it look like at the end? At the end, you'll be someone whose soul is now demonstrating the idea of, of God. You'll have a fixed world on a small scale and helping to contribute to the, to the entire purpose of, of, of humanity. Uh, you're fixing the world in a small way. And as a nation, we were given this Torah, these instructions that are very prohibitive, they're very difficult, and it's very strict, and there's so many laws, and it makes our life, you would argue, our, our body's life is worse off. You know, what we can eat, what we could do on Shabbat, who we could sleep with, all these restrictions. You know, our body, is, it's worse off for our body, for sure. Right? But doing that weakens that vice that our body has on our consciousness, and it empowers our soul and suddenly what happens, the power of the soul is able to shine forth. Go ahead. No. Well, I, okay, we feel it maybe on an emotional level, but not on a sensory level for sure. I'm just trying I was trying to demonstrate that it's 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 less Let's... Well, Jonathan, if you were here last week, you would have heard that I mentioned that on Yom Kippur. Actually, what does happen is that there is this kind of suppression of the body, you know, by dint of the day itself. So it's a very good point. Two weeks ago, last time I spoke here, I'm sorry. Either way, I want to just, I want to just, just bring this idea to completion and just, and, and, and just point out something very cool here. So, so we have these three stages of bringing the world of Tikkun olam. We have Abraham starts it off, he's the idea. We have Moses, Moses who's the one who introduces it to the entire world. Right? Oh, I'm sorry, to, the, to our nation. He gives us the Torah. And we have this Messiah character that's going to ultimately complete the job of teaching it to the entire world. We find very curiously, we find in Jewish, scattered throughout Jewish literature, we find descriptions of the mode of transportation of these three characters. And who here knows? Johnny, you might know. Right? Is anyone here familiar with the unique mode of transportation that these three individuals share? No one knows. We're told about three people in Jewish in Jewish uh, in Jewish writings that they ride on a donkey. Ever heard of that? Huh? Messiah? Well, Abraham he's riding on the chamor in Genesis. Moses he comes to Egypt on a donkey. And we know Messiah is, 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 is Rocheval Hamor. We know that. And in fact, once you dig a little deeper, in Jewish sources, it's actually the same donkey. Let's hold off on that. Okay. Oh, Bilam is, is the, that's the rebuttal, but I have a rebuttal to the rebuttal, so I don't know what that's uh, even called. That's a good question. We'll get to Bilam in a second. Chamor, we know, it, it symbolizes Homer. The word Homer means materialism, right? Uh, uh, Ron could uh, verify that. Homer is always linked to the physical We know that the, the, the donkey is a very physical centric uh, animal. Uh, so we're told Abraham, uh, Moses and Messiah, they achieve what they achieve because they were on top of the donkey they suppress they will overcome their donkey. their donkey, which is their physicality, right they're materialistic, they were on top of it they were over it right Thus, their power of their soul was able to shine forth and to create this wonderful, uh, this wonderful insight and inspiration for the entire world. Right to, to to have the power of the soul shine forth because they suppressed the donkey. Now someone mentioned Bilam. What do we know about Bilam's relationship with his donkey? First of all, we know he had a conversation with his donkey. When you have a conversation with someone, you're on the same level. Additionally, we're told in the Talmud, the Talmud is very clear in several places that uh, Bilam actually slept with his donkey. Yes. That it's once again sources sort of. The, it's, it's written where? It's in the book of Sanhedrin, same Sanhedrin. This is of I believe it's one oh five, uh, but I think Rashi brings it as well. Rashi in the Torah quotes it. Okay. Bilam, um, he was on the same level as his donkey. So yes, he had a donkey. Perhaps, maybe that's telling us that he had the same potential as Moses, right? Perhaps that's a good argument to be made. But we we, are, we do know from several sources that he was on the same level as donkey. He was not over the donkey by any means. But this once again, this this. this uh, demonstrates that the idea of Tukuna Lama, the idea of bringing out the power of the soul, that happens when you overcome, when you suppress uh, your, uh, your 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 instincts. Let me, let me just just just. Um, I didn't even get to what I wanted to get to. This is all an introduction. Either way, so l- l- let me let me just try to uh, close it. Kind of know we have a firm deadline here. I, uh, what we t- what What are we taking away? First of all, we're we're learning a deep insight into big picture. Like, what's this all about? This entire universe right? In Judaism, we're told there's a beginning and there's an end, right? Everyone seems to agree already that there is a beginning. That's pretty wonderful. It's a relatively recent development. All of humanity has agreed there's a beginning. In Judaism, we say that there's an end. Now, what happens after the end? That That is unclear, necessarily. What happens in the Messianic era? That's a, it's a, it, does the world change or not? It seems very clear the world does not change. But there's a certain uh, uh, maturation that the world achieves. What that is may be a, a separate topic. But either way, this kind of uh, ups the ante in what our goal is in life. Like we're here on a mission. Our mission is a mission of fixing the world. The world's broken. How is this demonstrated in our lives? Via our our uh, the influence that we have of the physicality that blinds us. We don't see God because we are not linked to that. We have this 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 uh, uh, this disassociation of our soul, and therefore we don't we we don't see God. And then you know what? And then it comes along to Torah. Torah says, you know what? I give you lots of these restrictions and we don't understand why do these restrictions and we asked is it not really care what we eat is it really so important to god that's a good question but now we understand a little bit about why like what does this do for us how does this improve our life what how, what's the link between the torah and its 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 commandments and restrictions and how does it bring us towards the end game now we know that part of what the torah does there's more to it a part of what the torah does is to suppress and restrict, indeed. And, and you know, that's what you sign up for. But we have to do it because we're the nation that has this national mission of, of fulfilling the If we don't do it, right, if we don't uh, fulfill this, who knows, it's a disaster. Right? And we have to, there's, uh, there's no option for failure. We have to do it. We accept it upon itself. We're the descendants of, of Abraham. We're the chosen people. And in fact, more precisely, we chose God. Abraham chose God. It's, it's very important to realize this distinction. It wasn't like Abraham arbitrarily was chosen. He was chosen because he was one who accepted upon himself this responsibility. But we as a nation at Sinai and as Abraham's descendants, and you know what? As uh, just our character, like we mentioned, Jews are driven. Where does that come from? Because we're the ones who are descendants of Abraham, and we're the ones who have accepted upon himself this responsibility. Thus, we are wired to change the world. And the Torah is our guide, and you know what? It's not easy. No one's going to argue that it's easy. But we, at least we have a picture about where, you know what the end game here is and how, what what does the world look like and you know what I think we can make the argument that we're already kind of close to the finish line you know the world uh, yes you know if you look at the news and watch the television newspaper you know you know it doesn't see all you see is the bad but if you just you know open history book and find out what it was like under the Romans two thousand years ago right the world's a lot better now and the idea of God is a lot more clear to us uh, but we still have ways to go. Uh, So that's that, guys, and thank you all. (laughs) Any uh, any questions? Anyone wants to? uh, I'm just trying to wrinkle Rabbi Johnny because he wants things. Oh, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. So if anyone has anything they want to share, uh, now's the time. Okay, fantastic, everyone. Let's go get some food. Okay, guys. Before everybody, stay seated for one second. I have to make a few big announcements. Thank you, Zoe, for uh, joining us. Everybody, say hi to Zoe.